If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 13. And we want to look at verses 1 uh, through 6. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's getting ready to come to the conclusion of the book. Remember, he's written this letter to Hebrew Christians. Hebrew Christians that are being oppressed, listen, by Rome. And then Hebrew Christians now that have left Judaism. And so they're being oppressed by their own Jewish brothers and sisters for leaving Judaism. And now the writer brings them to this place of having good morals. Verses 1 through 6. And as I looked at the topic... And I read these six verses, and we're going to teach them this morning. What about us? We're Christian now. Because each one of us have been in the place where we have had bad morals. But God calls us to the place of having not only good morals, but good Christian morals. And I want you to remember this. How can I have good morals? Now how can I have good Christian morals? Well, when we speak of Christian you say you're a Christian, the translation is, I am Christ's likeness. I want to be more like Jesus. I hope you want to be more like Jesus. And we're going to see in these six verses, I can't do these things unless Christ is in me. Bob will fail, you will fail. But Christ in and through me, these good Christian morals will materialize. And so let's begin here now. And I wanted to describe the word morals. Webster's Dictionary says this simply. Having concern without judgment of goodness or badness concerning human action or character. So morals can go to being good morals or bad morals. It's our choice. Now having A good moral, having the right moral, is to have right motives, to have right actions, to have right deeds. And again, it falls into also the category of ethics. We are called to be moral Christians. We are also called to be ethical Christians. You should have ethics in your workplace. You should have ethics in your home. But now good morals, good Christian morals outside of the home, the workplace. Now here at church, it's not the problem. But what about outside the walls of the church? And so he begins here in Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. He just begins it so simple. Let brotherly love continue. And he does not use the word agapeo, agape, divine love. Love that we only derive from God. But he uses brotherly love. uh, The Greek word is phileo love. Let it continue. And so in the Greek, verse 1, show phileo love towards others. And here's the word phileo. Show affection. Show kindness. Show fondness to others. Not only to show it, but let it continue. And here's the translation. Let it continue in your life. Let it stay in your life. Let it endure in your life. Let it remain in your life. Let it abide in your life. Not hatred, not meanness, not evil, but love. Common sense tells us, show Christian love. 
we call ourselves Christians, then we should act like Christians. Remember that statement a couple of years ago? It was so popular with the kids that were making the bracelets. What would Jesus do? And that's a good line uh, to measure yourself with. When you're going to do something, if you can stop before you do it, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would cut them off. No, he wouldn't. Well, Jesus would roll down his window and yell at them. No, he wouldn't. The love of Jesus is what's flowing in and through us if we're Christian, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't use agapeo love. He uses phileo love. And that's a whole different story here. There's no excuse that we don't have affection one for another. That we're not fond of one for another. That we don't care for one for another. And so it should be part of our life. I mean, how hard is it to be kind to somebody? Now, you'll respond like I have many times. Well, I'll be kind to them when they're kind to me. When they're not kind to me, watch out. Now, that should not be as a Christian. I learned years ago that I wanted desperately to have the love of Christ in me. And so where does this brotherly love start? And basically, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, but he uses the word agape. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given us eternal life because we've come to the cross. Now, I didn't have to go on the cross. He did that for me. But I had to come to the cross, and I have to ask for forgiveness at the cross. And his precious blood for the last 2,000 years is what washes me and washes you. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Write this down if you're taking notes. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, uh, verse 35. By this, Jesus said, all will know that you are my disciples. That's what you should be here this morning. All will know that by this you are my disciples if, and that's conditional, you have love one for another. If you have agape love one for another. Now, if I have this agape love and you have this agape love, then this Christian moral should be part of my life. It should not be an excuse at all. Now, here's another verse. I want you to listen to it. The epistle of 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Now, it's interesting, John the Beloved, that's what he was known for. He's the one that you, you picture him leaning upon Jesus' chest. Just He had such a relationship with our Lord. And so in 1 John, his first epistle, he wrote three of them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brothers, sisters, abides in death. So we've come to saving grace. Then we have to love one another, even when they have done us wrong. Why should I show love? And I put this down in my notes. Why should I show love to someone that I really don't know or they have hurt me in past or I know for a fact that they have gossiped talked about me behind my back. Don't raise your hand. Each one of us have been there. I've been there. And see, we have this memory bank, and we keep it update. You do me wrong, 
and the time will come, and I want to pay back. You do the same thing. And it should not be because we're Christian. Now, I want you to turn to this last passage, and we're dealing with verse 1 here. Go to the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Now, I read this passage years ago. And I'll tell you, it still grips me today. Because Pastor Bob was not always a moral Christian man. Pastor Bob was not always a nice guy. And if you're honest, you can say the same about you. But notice what Paul writes, and Paul knew his own life before he comes to the born-again experience. And the Holy Spirit showed Paul. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, he died for us. That's why I must have good Christian morals. While I was yet a sinner, the word commends, he demonstrated. He introduced his love to me. You know, that baffles the mind that 2,000 years ago, he died for me, he died for you, to give us life, life eternal. And so that's when, you see, when somebody does me wrong, when somebody does you wrong, you reflect back, well, look, you were no good sinner, and Jesus died for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And see, if Jesus died for me while I was a sinner, now I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be Christ-likeness, I can't forgive others? Well, you don't understand. No, no, you can't forgive. Well, they've done that. That's okay. You see, years ago, I'm reading that passage. Jesus is getting ready to die. You know where I'm going with this. His hands are stretched out. I mean, his blood has been dispensed. He's at the last straw, if you may. He's, the Bible says he's going to give up the ghost. And stretched out arms, he looks up into the heavens, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When I read that years ago, I said, oh, Lord, why did you put that in there? Because now I have to abide by that. I mean, somebody does me wrong, I keep it in my memory, like I said. But what about Jesus? The Bible says that there was tens and thousands of angels waiting for his command, they would have come down. They would have toasted everybody and anybody in Jerusalem, including Jerusalem. But Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. And then when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, then he finishes the job. It is finished, he told the Father. It is finished. It's done. And he made it possible for us to get to heaven uh, through him. And so we go back to the phrase or the scripture, and verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Then why can't I do it? You can only do it through Christ. Now, it, it gets better. Notice verse 2. Let the brotherly love continue. Abide forever. And then he goes into verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, he doesn't say show agape love. He's been talking about 
Show affection. Show fondness. You know, show natural love. But he's given us agape love. So show agape love towards strangers. We show love towards strangers at church. Somebody new comes in. We're supposed to go out and reach out to them. Why? Because they are in the church. But show hospitality. That's what the Greek is saying. Show hospitality to the unknown. But use wisdom. Again, why? Because just maybe God has sent them to you as a test. In all reality, they were angelic beings. Now, for years, I don't do it as much as I used to. But when I first came to Saving Grace, I was pretty radical in that area. I picked up strays. I picked up strays. I would bring them home. I'd say, Mary, let's cook for them. Let's... And it used to freak my wife out. But I got involved in prison ministry. I got involved in street ministry. I got involved in jail ministry. And so a lot of these guys were druggies. And I just felt compelled to reach out to them. Hitchhikers, if my wife wasn't with me, I picked them up. Never once even thinking. And all the years, nothing ever happened. And sometimes I'd have, a, you know, lunch with me. I just stopped at the hamburger place. I'm going home or I'm going to the park. And then, you know, they get in your car. And then naturally they're kind of eyeing your bag. And you say, are you hungry? And they say, yeah. Now what do you do? I did that once and I had two burgers. I said, eh, he'll have one, I'll have the other. He ate them both. <laughs> now where's your brotherly love? I, don't know. I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have picked this guy up. And that's our response, church. And it should not be. Now, I want you to turn to this. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And in Romans, chapter 12, it speaks about the gift of hospitality. Do not forget to entertain angels, strangers, for by so doing, some of them might be angels. And so, on Wednesday nights, we finish the series the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we spoke about the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so you see a, a lot of those gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and those gifts operate by 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that is agape love. And when you come to Romans chapter 12, you see a whole other set, and it speaks about this hospitality. It is a gift, church. I don't think that you can truly be hospitable unless you're a Christian. Oh, you might do it, but you're going to pick and choose. But to be hospitable to a stranger, imagine that. And so listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Now I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Just wanted to get the richness out of it because I'm not going to expound on it. Look at verse 9. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection. Not agape, but genuine affection. Phileo. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Your workplace. You might not like your boss. You might not like the company. You might not like your supervisor. Or your lead man, your foreman, whoever's in charge of you. But you're not working for them. You're basically working for the Lord. Oh, God has placed them there. 
and he's given rule over you through them. We're going to study that in Hebrews chapter 13 as we continue. But you're working as unto the Lord. And so do it enthusiastically. Look at verse 12. Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. Verse 13. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into a habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. Now, the early church, the gift of hospitality was very, very prominent. And you sometimes would take home people unaware. Years back, when I, I made a trip uh, to Europe, and we landed in Germany. And from Germany, we took trains all the way up to Moscow. And in the process, we were meeting different missionary friends. And they were showing us lodging, helping us and such. Well, we got stuck in Kiev, the Ukraine. And we missed our contact. And it started to get dark. And dark at night in the train station in a foreign country starts to become real freaky. And we were praying. And by that time, people start, they can tell you're foreigners. And so they're coming up to you, and they have pictures. And they're showing you a bedroom that they will rent for you. Now listen to this, $7, meals included. Now, I, I grew up in the streets. Yeah, you're going to feed me for 7 bucks, knock me over, and take everything that I own, and just leave me with a barrel, right? And we asked the Lord, give us direction, Lord. And he did. And I'll tell you what, I will never forget that family we stayed with. We didn't stay one night. We stayed three nights. And it was a total blessing from God. There was a couple of other people at the <laughs> train station. I went like this. Thank you, Lord. We didn't go home with them because we had no idea what was going to happen. But always be open to hospitality. I told you we went to Albuquerque to go have, you know, Christ, uh, what is that, Thanksgiving with our daughter. I'm already going ahead of myself. And Mary and I are going on the I-25, and we see a car break down. Well, when we approached it, we were getting ready to go. I'm going 75. And uh, lady's coming out of the car. I see that, and she's holding a baby. And then I see another lady, and she's got a, like a 7- or 8-year-old. And obviously, they're Vehicle's broken. We see them walking towards Albuquerque, and we're out there in the middle of nowhere. But I already passed them because I saw all that, but I was going too fast. And, you know, there's no turnarounds like we have in California. And so we had to go way up. And I says, Mary, it's going to be way far before I turn. I look in the mirror, and somebody was pulling over. But my heart reached out. Here's a woman with a baby. And then a little voice comes to me. How do you know it wasn't a rifle? How do you know it wasn't a gun? I didn't know. It looked like a baby. But that's hospitality. You want to reach out. And so you have to be open to these things. And that is having good Christian morals 
Because the Lord is working in and through you. And I thank God that somebody did stop for her. Now, look at verse 3. This one gets a little bit tougher. Now, I don't mind helping strangers. And I don't mind, you know, especially those at church. Yes, I struggle with a stranger I don't know anything about. But I guess, Lord, I'll be open. But now, remember those in prison. And before I came to Saving Grace, I could care less if somebody went to prison or jail, was incarcerated for one thing or another. That's their problem, not mine. But you come to Saving Grace now. It's a different story. It's a different ballgame. And if you're honest with yourself, each one of us here this morning, we've all done something dishonest and something unlawful. And we could have easily been incarcerated, even overnight, a couple of days, or long term. It's just the grace of God. How many times, most of you know my testimony, how many times did I drive drunk? I knew that. And I thank God I never hit nobody. But I could have easily been incarcerated with anybody else so it's the grace of God but listen to this now remember the prisoners and then I like this as if chained with them now the early church had a lot of prisoners we know that Paul there was a lot of prisoners in Rome Paul was part of it Paul was a Christian but he says here remember the prisoners as if chained with them in other words put yourself in their position those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body of Christ, basically, also. And so show this good Christian morals. Show this agape love, this affection towards prisoners. But I put this response because I believe each one of us, you know, go, this will go through your mind. So why should I care about those in prison? I mean, they got what they deserve. That's what I used to say. There's an old saying, if you can't do the time, then don't do the crime. That's their problem. It's their fault they're in prison. You know, we have all the cliches. But I want to challenge you now. We have to remember, as Christians, as true believers and followers of Jesus Christ, there are many other Christians like you and I who love the Lord, who love God's word, but they're in third, third world countries, and right now, they're incarcerated. These are Christians. They're behind bars. They're beaten, sometimes left starving, sometimes left for dead. And listen to their crime. Their crime was loving the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing his word. Now, we like to support gospel for Asia. K.P. Yohanan. Most of you know the ministry. And I get all the newsletters and I get all the emails. And I'll tell you what, in India, it is a crime. Like most third world countries, it is a crime to be a Christian. How many times I've read, brother so-and-so just got out of prison after eight years. And he goes back to his wife, goes back to his fellowship. And then he goes back on the pulpit, and the law is waiting for him, and they incarcerate him again. And I say, would I do that? 
would I go back and preach the gospel? Hmm. You see, people that are in third world countries, Christians, and they are in prison, they're believers just like you. They need our prayers, and many times they need our help. Uh, many times it could be through letters, through encouragement uh, of a phone call, if it's possible, or through Gospel for Asia. Through Gospel for Asia. Here in our ministry, there are several people that have family members that are incarcerated. And man, we pray for them. And we try to reach out. Now, we've always tried to send our CDs, but not uh, facilities are different. Some will allow them in, some won't. But we can't forget them. They didn't forget Paul. And yet there's some beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of you that have been here, when we do the Klein Park Outreach, Pastor Mark Maciel comes to do this outreach for the last 15 years. Well, I met Mark at Tehachapi State Prison. When we were going to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, we were taking Bible studies into Tehachapi State Prison. Pastor Mark was not a pastor then. He was, he was an inmate. But he would come to our Bible studies. And when Mark got out, he got hooked up with Calvary Chapel in Downing. And the beautiful part of that is to see Mark today. I mean, he has a beautiful ministry. He has, you know... A house for men and a house for women. You've seen them. They come. And they just come to serve. That's what God can do in and through somebody. And somebody reached out to Mark. And somebody reached out to others. There are so many out there, church. I want you to turn with me before we leave verse 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. And here Paul speaks of the unity and diversity, but yet one body. And he's going to use the analogy of the human body. The anatomy. But you see, we have to understand that in the body of Christ, there's so many differences. Not everybody's a Calvary Chapel. Not everybody's a Baptist church. And like we shared, not everybody is free. Some are in prison. Some are incarcerated. And they're Christians. And so let's just go through this. Again, New Living Translation. Just going to read through it real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 18. But God made our bodies with many different parts. And he has put each part just where he wants it. I love that. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. In the machine shop that we worked in years ago, one of the, the fingers or what was usually missing on most of the men, I thank God, I got cut many times, but we had guys without thumbs, and that's the way they operated. And they kept working at once they got healed and stuff, and they got used to it. But I would watch them. Next time you're at home, try to pick up a glass of milk, glass of water with your four fingers. It is not easy. So to say, well, I lost a thumb. I don't need it. Oh, yes, we do. Everything has a vital part. 
In verse 23, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with uh, the greatest care. So we carefully protect the eyes of others, those parts that should not be seen. While other parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for one another equally in one part suffer now he's speaking about the body of christ if one part suffers all the parts suffer with it and if one part is honored all the parts are glad and so he shows us the picture here if our brothers and sisters in Christ are in prison suffering for the gospel's sake, we, the body of Christ outside of prison, we also suffer. We need to care for them. And I thank God for the prison ministries. I thank God, you know, people like Pastor Mark continue. They go and they minister all over Southern California. It's just a blessing. Write this down. Remember, we spoke of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, the gifts, while they're in operation through love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says there are three things that will endure, and he shares them real quick. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. How can I show good Christian morals? But it's through God's agape love. And the word faith speaks of my insurance in Christ, the word hope, my expectation on faith. And here love is agape love. If you have a King James, it's the word charity. And this is love that always gives and never wants anything in return. God's love, church. God's love is what compels me to reach out to those incarcerated. God's love is what compels me to reach out to strangers. God's love is what compels me and fill in the blank. Even when you've been taken advantage of, even when you've been spoken ill of, love is the common denominator. And if he died for me, if he died for you, while we were yet sinners, why can't we reach out to others? Now, he takes this, having good Christian morals, to the next step. Look at verse 4 now. And he speaks about marriage. Marriage. And he says, marriage is honorable among all. The bed is undefiled, obviously, because it's the husband and wife. But fornicators and adulterers, God is going to judge. You bring in somebody else into that bed, you defile it. That bed is for the husband and the wife. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read what I'm going to just expound out of verse 4. Go to Genesis chapter 2 and just wait there. So here in verse 4, show affection. That's what he started with in verse 1, but we're Christian. And so show agape love towards marriage. God's institution of marriage is found in the beginning back in Genesis chapter 2. God created Eve, the woman for the man, Adam. Listen to this, men, for completeness. 
for completeness. Men, you and I are not complete until that wife comes into the picture. She completes us. Oh, what a blessing. Completes us in love and beauty, and you can just go on affection. I mean, care, concern. I mean, Adam found this out. We're going to read right now. He got to name all the animals, but there was not one compatible for him. Bottom line, I mean, Adam couldn't even think of kissing the giraffe. But watch what takes place. Marriage is honorable. We're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. But let me share what the Greek means, marriage is honorable. Marriage is holy. And the word holy, marriage is set apart, sanctified. Set apart for God, consecrated to God. Marriage is honorable. Another translation, marriage is precious. Marriage is valuable. Marriage is costly. Marriage is esteemed. Marriage is dear. Why? Why all these descriptions of marriage? Because Jesus died for that marriage. Jesus gave his blood for that marriage. And I know some of you have been divorced. Right now, the percent rate is a little over 51%. That's what the polls are telling us. Christian divorce, if there is such a thing. They asked Jesus, the religious leaders, why did Moses give a writing of divorce, divorcement? He did it because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. And that's what we're going to read here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And again, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a companion who will help him. So the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. Now, I read that so many years ago, and isn't it amazing? Adam looked at a porcupine, and he says, I am going to name it porcupine. I mean, what else can we call it? That's all we know it as. You look at your dog, you look at your cat. God, you, good name, Adam. Thank you. We can't change it. How God has done it so beautifully. And then in verse 20, and he gave names to all the livestock, birds, wild animals. But still, there was not a companion suitable or a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And he took one of his Adam's ribs and he closed up the place from which he had taken it. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to Adam. And Adam said in verse 23, at last, Adam exclaimed, she is part of my flesh and my bone. She will be called woman. Listen to this. Because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, the word for man is ish. The word for woman is isha, an extension of man. What a beautiful picture. Look at verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined, underline that, uh, to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although, he says, Adam and his wife were both naked, neither one of them felt any shame. Why? 
because sin had not entered yet. It wasn't until they were deceived by the serpent. We're going to deal with that this Wednesday. Deception is one of Satan's major ploys. And usually he will use the word of God. Half truth, half lies. Deception. In the last days, the Antichrist is going to deceive the world. But again, look at verse 24. They shall leave his father and mother, and they're joined uh, to his, together to his wife. The husband and the wife are joined together. The two become one. I believe that most of us, the men, let me speak to the men. I'm sure at one time or another, we've gotten two pieces of wood. And we can sand them on both sides, nice two pieces of wood. And then we use the best glue that's out there in the market, something that, you know, Elmer's wood glue. And you put it together, rub it, and then just press it. And then you might put a clamp on it, leave it there a couple of hours, even a day. And you come back and the two have become one. Now, the sad part is, you say, well, that's the wrong one. I meant to glue this one. I'll take it apart. Now, you can. But if you've ever done that, you will find quickly that those two smooth pieces, by taking them apart a couple days later, a couple hours later, however the strength of that glue, it's not going to take apart easy. You're going to have to use a chisel. You're going to have to use a hammer. And then it's ugly. That's what a divorce does. God has made the two to become one, and he will bless that. Marriage is honorable honorable now it's tough when one part of the marriage the husband or the wife one is saved the other one's not saved it becomes hard it's work and those of you that are saved and your spouse is not saved you have a ministry of prayer don't give up god will touch that spouse in his time but your position is to pray to pray and to agonize in prayer and sometimes it works overnight a week a month a year and i've heard testimony where it takes years but our place is to pray marriage is honorable god loves marriages the first miracle that jesus performed was in john chapter 2 The marriage at Cana. He thought it's so important to be at that marriage. Now let's continue. We have two more verses. Look at verse 5. Let's go back to our text. Now he kind of shifts a little bit of gears here. And so having good morals, we've come to the conclusion now. We're Christian. Having good Christian morals. What would Jesus do? How would he entertain strangers? How would he reach out to prisoners? How does Jesus, you know, how does he look at a marriage? He told the religious leaders, Moses give you a writing of divorcement because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. The two shall become one. Now he speaks about your conduct. Let it be without covetousness now the word conduct 
is not a good translation. Let me go to it real quick. Look at verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. And church, be content. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's a promise that he gave back in the Old Testament. It's a promise that's still here today. But let's look at this word conduct. And so we've been describing this now. Show affection towards your conduct. Well, we're Christians, so show agape love towards your conduct. But the word conduct here, the King James has a better translation. It says conversation. But here's the situation. The word conduct, the word conversation, it just doesn't fit. So this is another one of those beautiful places. You have to go to the Greek. Our English word conversation makes a reference to one's speech, one's words, but the Greek word is much deeper. Let your Christian manner of life, the word conduct, the word conversation. He says, let your Christian manner of life, your character, who you are as a believer, let it be without covetousness. Once and for all, as a believer, be free from the love of money. There is a big difference than loving money at any cost. Be content means be satisfied. Let enough be enough. Be satisfied where God has you. Why? Because Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, when it comes to money, it is a big issue because, come on, who doesn't want more money in their paycheck? I mean, the church operates... We have bills. That's why an offering is given. That's why you give. That's why I give. There's salaries. There's insurances. There's lights. There's gas. I mean, there's so much that is part of the church. Well, the same with your household. You have needs. So uh, you work. The workman is worthy of his labor. But be careful when your manner of life, let it be without covetousness. You know, I just need a little bit more. Don't raise your hands, but how many of us, I'm including myself, man, Lord, if I would hit the lotto, I'd take care of all the poor people. Take care of Calvary Chapel. Take care of Pastor Bob. I mean, you know, it goes through your thought. Now, if I hit the big one, I'll take care of a lot of people. And maybe that's why you've never hit anything, because God knows you. He'll never see you again. There he goes in his new car. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this, because this thing about money is usually misquoted. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, just write it down. It's a mis misquoted scripture. And I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. Uh, Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Some even have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money brings problems. You've heard the old saying, the millionaire says, All I want to do is make a million bucks. And when he gets or she gets to that million dollars, you know what the next phrase is? 
man, if I could only make two million. And you get to that stage, eventually you're going to be, well, if I can only get close to Bill Gates. That, I mean, money does that to you. We're all affected by it. It was a shock, a complete shock for Mary and I when we came from Southern California to the Southwest. The money standards here are so much lower. Now we've learned to adapt. But when we first came, it was very difficult, very hard. Jobs that were being offered to me, I was making more money on unemployment that I was getting from Southern California than the job was going to pay. I couldn't believe that. But be careful that it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Money does funny things to people. If you could have a conversation right now with Bernie Madoff, I wonder what he would tell you. That man is in trouble for a long, long time. He has hurt a lot of people, rich people that have been hurt by him. In fact, one of the comedians I saw on TV recently was just making a joke out of it, and they had a, you know, a numbering system, and they said, Bernie Madoff will be uh, taken out of prison, and he has the date down, 145 years from now. Well, it's obvious he's not going to make it. He's like 70 now. But that love of money. And so listen to what he says. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content. Be content in what God has given you. Lord, I'm happy. Lord, thank you. And sure, again, please don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with changing jobs and bettering yourself. There's nothing wrong with, I got a raise. You're not going to tell your boss, no, I'm content. I don't need it. No, you're going to take the raise. But let's not be covetous. Trust God. Trust God because he says at the bottom of the verse, for he himself has said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise of God, church. When we first moved here, I thought for sure we were not going to make it financially because the standards were so different. And I look back now. I thank the Lord. God is so good. Now, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As we've been going through the book of Hebrews, the writer is always making reference, and the writer, the Holy Spirit inspired somebody to write. I believe it was Paul. Always going back to the Old Testament. Write this down. Let me read it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 7 and 8, Then Moses called Joshua, and he said to him, In the sight of all Israel... Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. God's promises. And see, church, that's what we held on to, Mary and I and the kids, when we moved out here. Because God said, I will take care of you. But I saw, you know, no, it's not going to work. But God sees the whole parade. Trust God. 
Now, let me read another verse that goes right along. That was in Deuteronomy. Moses was writing this. This is the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you. This is God's promise to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And then he reiterates what he said in Deuteronomy. Be strong and of good courage. Speaking to Joshua. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance in the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The promise that was given to Abraham. The promise that was given to Moses. The promise that was given to Joshua. Listen church. It's the same promise to us. Didn't God promise each one of us? You come to saving grace, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I want you to think about Joshua. He's challenged. They come to Kadesh Barnea, and they camp. After, you know, 40, day, 40 years in the wilderness, Moses has passed away. And all they got to do is go straight across now into the land of Canaan. It's the promised land. God said, go take it. Joshua, it's yours. Everywhere that you tread, it's going to be yours. Well, Joshua sends out 12 spies. Remember that? And the spies come back. And isn't it so true? You can send out two people, you'll get two different reports. Well, he sends out 12, and he got 10 reports and then two good reports. Well, the 10 came back, and they said, there's giants in the land. There's walled cities. There's great armies. We can't go in there. We will be killed. But the other two spies came back. It's exactly what God said. It is the land of milk and honey. You see, the two spies looked beyond the trials, the hardship, the pain. Oh, I'm sure they saw the walled cities. I'm sure they saw everything that was, how about the giants? But they hung on to the promises of God. And by the way, when you study Joshua, they went in, but they did not take everything that God had promised them. Hmm. <laughs> we have to trust God. And so that having those good morals, having those good Christian morals, trust God. And sometimes when we just, I don't know how you're going to do this. But he does. He does. Now we're going to come to the conclusion of our study this morning. Look at verse 6. And as I was beginning to look at the conclusion, listen to the way it reads here. So we may boldly say, so I come to this conclusion of uh, having good Christian morals. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He got me through it. I will not fear. And then I like this. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Kill me? If man kills me, I'm going to go home to be with the Lord. But these things are real, church. But the Lord is my helper. How can I keep good Christian morals? Only through Jesus Christ. He is my helper. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to die. And he told them the promise of the paracletos. Jesus left us the power of the Holy Spirit, our helper, our paraclete. And the paraclete is the one that comes alongside. 
He comes alongside, this is the Holy Spirit, to lead me, to guide me into all truth. And then the scripture says, he will teach me all things. The Holy Spirit will teach me all things. Church, we have to trust God. We have to trust God, not to fear man. Now, fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. Fear is of self. Fear is of the world. But perfect love cast out all fear. Now, before we go to 1 John chapter 4, I want you to write this down. Psalms 118, look at verse 6. I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord is on my side, the psalmist says. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? We shared earlier. What if I'm killed? The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord if I'm a Christian. In Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus, one was buried, one was carried. The one that was carried was taken to Abraham's bosom, and that was because he was a believer. But the one that was buried found himself in Hades in hell, tormented day and night. Now turn to 1 John, the epistle, chapter 4. Look at verse 17. Again, John the Beloved, he just has this, you know, the Holy Spirit just draws him into writing these scriptures concerning love. And that's why I love to read the Gospel of John. And eventually we're going to get into 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. But 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 17. Now, the caption in my Bible says, the consummation of love. In other words, the final verdict, love. These good moral Christian standards, it's only through love. In verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. The world has fear, listen, because judgment is coming. We don't have fear because we're not going to be judged. Now, we will be at the judgment of the non-believer. We will see it, but we won't be judged because we're covered in the blood of the Lamb. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect or complete in love. I'm complete now. So are you this morning if you're born again of the Holy Spirit. If you are Christian, we are completed in Christ. Perfect love. And that perfect love only comes from Christ. Perfect love casts out all fear, all terror, all alarm, all fright. The enemy uses so many different things. Remember how scared everybody was? When 9-11 took place, we basically have forgotten about it. Oh, we can quote 9-11, but pretty much everybody's forgotten it until the next time, church. But perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, 18, look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Hmm. I tell you, I've looked at that scripture many, many times. 
And again, this is in reference to what we shared in verse 1, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He died for me. He died for you. And yet I was a sinner. You were a sinner. We love him, yes, but because he first loved us. I tell you, there's times, especially when I'm putting uh, a sermon together, a study together, a teaching, and I'm going over the material, and I'm cross-referencing, and there's so much that I can share. I only share a certain amount because we got an hour study. That's basically. But there is so much, and sometimes you're just overwhelmed. And you say, Lord, you saved me. You saved me. I thank you, Lord. A a wretch like me. It's in the title of, you know, Amazing Grace, who saved a wretch like me. And each one of us qualified. Each one of us. Whatever sin we were in, he saved a wretch like me. Well, I just was a liar. You were a wretch. You might have been a good liar. You were a wretch. You see, we equate to, well, that was a murderer. That's a rapist. I'm not in the same category. You see, I did that years ago. And I just prided myself. The worst thing I do is alcohol. The Bible said, no liar will get into the kingdom of God. Well, I've told my share of lies. I know you have. And no drunkard will enter the kingdom. I don't throw that Bible away. That's not right. It's not right. But you see, it's scriptural. And so what I'm trying to say is that we are all sinners saved by grace. God's amazing grace. And now this is why I can have good Christian morals through a stranger to a prisoner in the marriage because of God's love in me. In John chapter 15, verse 5, always try to memorize that verse. Jesus said, without me, without me, without me, you can do nothing. Man, the older I get in Christ, the more I recognize, oh, Lord, I desperately need you. When Bob tries to do it, he fails miserably. The same with you. We need Christ. I need Christ. You need Christ. That's how good Christian morals are going to come about. Only through Christ working in and through you. Amen. Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Father, for this. Just simplicity of teaching. Good morals are okay. There's so many people that have good morals. But what about good Christian morals? Good Christian morals that come from God because I see his example and I want to be more Christ-likeness. But Father, as I gave the opportunity in the first service, I always give the opportunity uh, any chance I get. So Lord, I want to pray. Maybe there's somebody here this morning. With every eye closed, every head bowed, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've never come to saving grace. 
Today is the day of your salvation. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, I will say a simple prayer of faith with you. If you've never come to Saving Grace, raise your hand and I will pray for you. Anybody here in the sanctuary? Real quick, anybody? Praise the Lord. Then we're all Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the body of Christ here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the believers. Thank you, Lord, that only through you can we have good Christian morals. And Father, bless your beautiful people as they've come. Lord, teach us to be hospitable. Teach us, Lord, uh, to reach out to strangers. Lord, teach us to care for those in prison. Lord, teach us that only through you can we have a good marriage, a holy marriage, an honorable marriage, because you paid the price for it. And so, Father, bless your servants here this morning. Lord, bless the offerings. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.